Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show. Loads going on on today's Thursday Club. We'll be previewing Saturday Tea Time's Everton game at Craven Cottage. Can Fulham make it three wins in a row? What a statement that would be to the rest of the league. Also, we're going to be speaking to Fulham women's goalkeeper Edie Kelly all about the upcoming game for the women's team at Craven Cottage against AFC Wimbledon on the 20th of November. Extremely exciting time for the women's team. And I'm joined right now to look ahead to that Everton game, first and foremost, with Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, Sammy. How you doing? You all right? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Uh, still not joined by Peter yet. Uh, he is on the road to recovery, um, so we wish Peter all the best. And uh, I- I've got a funny feeling he's going to be fighting fit within a week or so. So, um, yeah, we've heard from Peter. He is all good. Um, but, yeah, hopefully just uh, another week or so and uh, he'll be able to pass that fitness test. Um, so, Jack, it's just me and you today. Um, yeah, looking ahead. Yeah, looking ahead to Everton. Uh, I always enjoy just a nice one-two pod with you. Um, So it's a big game on Saturday, isn't it? I mean, it's always a big game when it's the Premier League, but not very often, Jack, that Fulham get the chance to get three wins in a row in the Premier League. In fact, the last time we did it, Everton at home was one of those games. It was the first of the run of three, not the last of the run of three. Um, But hey, there's nice comparison there. So yeah, it's it's, it's heady days for Fulham and... um, I think we can all go into this game quite optimistic. However, despite all the struggles that Everton have had in the last 12 months, I think this will be by far the most difficult out of the three games um, because Everton look much more improved. Yeah, they look like a much more cohesive unit, I think, than Aston Villa did under Steven Gerrard or Leeds do under Jesse Marsh. So there's this to happen. Look, they, they they have a funny kind of campaign so far their record on the road isn't great their record at home has been pretty good um so it's one of those kind of strange ones where they are a little bit Jekyll and Hyde is probably how I I would put it but on on the whole this is a this is a winnable game but it's going to be a difficult one as well and and actually what I've been been intrigued by is some of the the little bits and bobs that that Everton have, have put into place this season that have uh, negated perhaps some of the the struggles they had last season. I think that I, I was kind of expecting them to go to a five at the back. They haven't hugely used that. It's not been something that they've kind of stuck to. I mean, especially with the addition of of Connor Cody, it was something we were like, oh, is this going to be the case? They they kind of started out the season with with that kind of back three, back five. Um, and we haven't seen it much apart from the away game at Spurs recently. It's been more of a 4-3-3. So, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting game, I think. And uh, yes, as you say, one of the toughest ones. But our record at home is really good. And, you know, let's take that Newcastle result aside because of the obvious permutations that that game had in that we played most of it with, with 10 men. Um, our record at home has been impressive and, and, and we're yet to be beaten there aside from that Newcastle game, as I say. So, on the whole... I think this is going to be trickier than perhaps the Villa game. Well, I think it's going to be definitely trickier than the Villa game. That was the worst Premier League team I've seen in a long time. Um, but it's going to be a, a tricky fixture, but absolutely no doubt the one that Fulham can can look to win. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of players that have had a bit of a resurgence and there's just been some smart signings, I think, from Everton. You know, we all want to 
dislike Frank Lampard and whilst I'm not massively impressed with his managerial skills and I know it's not necessarily Lampard that, that's making these transfers but you look at this team now and it does just look a lot more solid and uh, one player that I am extremely surprised to hear is 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 flourishing is is Alex Awobi he got two assists in the Palace game and just all round has refound some of the confidence and form that that led him to potentially become an Arsenal star that obviously never happened. And then we moved to Everton. He found it really difficult, but yeah, him in the number 10 role behind Dominic Calvert-Lewin has been really, really fruitful for Everton and a bit of a surprise, I guess not massively dissimilar to our story with Andres Pereira. I don't think anyone expected Pereira to be as uh, good as he has been in that number 10 role. Um, and, and Awobi has had a kind of similar season, really defying expectations. Yeah, I, I think that's fair enough. I mean, look, the talent's always been there with Alex Awobi. I don't think anyone would doubt that. There's there's a reason he got so many games for Arsenal and he was so well-liked by a number of managers. But I think that they're seeing him in, in perhaps the role that he's best at. And I'd go one further. I don't even necessarily think he's playing as a number 10. I think he's playing as a box-to-box eight. And, and actually, I think this is the, the really interesting thing with this because... Alex Awobi is one of those players who has always had the kind of capacity to find himself in goal-scoring chances and isn't a particularly good finisher. And I know that, of course, I've said that he's going to score at the weekend. But he's not, you know, a, a person who has had a consistent finishing streak throughout his career. He's, he's capable of wonder goals, but he's not the kind of person you want the ball to necessarily fall to in those areas on a regular basis. And so when he was playing further up the pitch, either as a winger or as, you know, an out-and-out out number 10, he actually, I think, struggled a bit in that he was expected to be more productive in the final third than he perhaps ever was. They've moved him back. Obviously, this midfield three of Jessica Gay, Andre Onana and Alex Awobi is one that, that offers kind of everything in all aspects of the game. They, they are a, a trio that happen to fulfill each other's strengths and weaknesses. And actually, what I've found interesting talking to a few Everton fans is to say that they're not always all good, but the rest of them tend to step up when one of them is having a poor 10, 15 minutes. And it's a really interesting concept, right? Because actually you don't necessarily need all three of your midfielders to be having a good game all the time, as long as the other two are able to, to kind of jump up and, and crash. And look, Andre Anana was one of those players who probably went for a little bit too much money in the summer, um, considering what his scope of work was before he made this transfer. But the fact that there was a little bit of a bidding war between Everton and West Ham, I think drove his price up perhaps above what it should have been. But he's showing why he was in demand in the first place. And he is one of those people who can control a game from deep. Um, they have a very similar, I think, style in some ways to the way that we have with Reed and Polina in what they have with, with Adrissa Ganagay and Andre Anana. Anana is more of that kind of focal anchor point and, and Gay buzzes around him breaking the game up and, and making things happen. And Anana has the ability to step forward as well and, and, and stride into the opposition half, as we've seen with Joao. Um, but but on the whole, I think this is a, a trio that really does you know work for each other, that really does complement each other well across the middle of the park. And the fact that Calvert-Lewin now is back at the kind of focal point of, of this team, I think is going to probably belie a little bit of a move up the table. So yeah, 100%. They, they haven't been all that consistent, but I think Everton are going to be moving upwards in, in a kind of general trend through this season. We just have to hope that we've hit them right before that upward trend starts to get into flow. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't strike me. I remember at the start of the season, I think Everton didn't win 
uh, quite a lot of uh, games at the start. I think it was them and Leicester that had a long no win run at the start of the season. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, is this going to be another relegation battle? But unless something goes really south in the second half of the season, which is kind of what happened last year, I don't see Everton being in the relegation scrap. I think their 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 scrap was last year, and the fact they managed to survive that almost makes me think maybe Everton are the unrelegatable club. Well, it depends. Obviously, injuries play a massive part. I think they've struggled for goals um, with Dominic Calvert Lewin out. I think there's only four or five teams in the Premier League who have scored fewer than than Everton's eleven, um, and the goals have been spread out quite, you know, quite sporadically among this team. I mean, I think Anthony Gordon is their top scorer with three. So you can see that, you know, this is a team where they're having to kind of dig deep around the side for goals. But equally, Calvert-Lewin's reinstation into that kind of number nine role, I imagine, will foreshadow his rise up that Everton golden boot table, if you will. So this is a side with with plenty of quality on the wings. I'm still not completely convinced by Anthony Gordon. Um, there was obviously a lot of talk about him making a really big jump in the summer. Chelsea were reportedly after him. Um, that's not to say he's a bad player. I'm just not quite sure he's quite at that level yet or, or will get to that level. But it's going to be interesting to see how his development continues. But, you know, on, on the other hand, they have... Tamari Gray, who I really like, is a very kind of dependable Premier League player. Um, you have players like Dwight McNeil, who I think is is excellent and, and might end up being that kind of one of those kind of key steel signings over the course of this summer. And as we say, that midfield three. And then at the back, this this partnership of Connor Cody and, and James Tarkovsky has really started to to come into its own. And there were plenty of questions over whether Cody could play as part of a of, of a back two, considering pretty much all of his best games at Wolves came in a three. And the fact that he was removed kind of from that side as they tried to transition to a four at the back was kind of crucial. But I think he's answering those questions pretty comprehensively. And and Tarkovsky, I think, has been excellent. There's also rumours that Nathan Patterson will come back in for Seamus Coleman this weekend, which is probably then bringing them up to their full strength back four. Um, Seamus Coleman has been a wonderful servant to that club and a man I have plenty of love in my heart for. But uh, I think Patterson is probably starting to supersede him in their first choice 11, which does mean that it looks like they're going to be at full capacity for this game, which should make it very interesting. Yeah, it was a bit of an unfortunate injury for Patterson because he'd had an amazing start to the season. Let's um, flip this around to Fulham, mm. Jack. And feels a bit of a case of... Do you change a winning side? That the only debate I think is now who starts at centre back and if Kenny Tete's fit. But even if Kenny Tete's fit, I think I honestly wonder if he changed Decadover Reed. I mean, he's been um, doing all right in that position. Surely, yeah. if Kenny Tete's fit, though, he would put him back in. But we'll have to wait and see on that one. But yeah, otherwise, you feel like going forward, especially now with Wilson back, that. This team is this team is getting even more settled than it was already. Yeah, and bear in mind we have a week break this time, right? So there, there's less of a need for rotation like there might have been after the Villa game, which which is potentially why we saw those changes. I, I'd imagine Diop comes back in. He didn't really do anything wrong against Aston Villa. Um, and Tosin, you know, as I said on, on Monday's podcast, I, I didn't think he was as bad as some people made out. Uh, Tosin, I thought he did some very good things in this game, but equally, I thought Diop was probably the steadier hand at the tiller um, during the Aston Villa game, even if it was against a weaker side. So I'd imagine that he maybe gets the nod here. If Tete's fit and available to play, I think he'll play. Um, You look at his numbers for this season, you look at what he's put up, both in an offensive and a defensive capacity, and 
I don't think there's much argument that he is the first choice right back. It would be harsh on Bobby for him to be dropped, considering how well he's done out of position. Um, but equally, there might be a space for him to, you know, to look up the pitch and, and, and make a difference coming off the bench in the kind of higher or the final third of the pitch. So I'd imagine there isn't going to be too many changes. Wilson, I didn't think was great against Leeds. Now there's questions online. Um, obviously, he's just coming back off the, an injury and he's going to need some time to get back up to full speed. So this isn't a huge criticism in that regard. It was more kind of, obviously, he's worried about aggravating that injury before the World Cup, um, which is something he, he's obviously very, very much looking forward to. And I just wary that if he's going to be just, you know, at 95% rather than 100, we have plenty of options here in 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 the wing core for him to be able to to kind of maybe make an impact off the bench. So I, I obviously as much as I love Harry Wilson and as much as I think he is probably the first choice winger in this side when everybody's fit, I just wary that if he's concerned about picking up a, a knock or, or a niggle before the World Cup, maybe it's best to use him slightly more sparingly in terms of minutes. Yeah. Who would you bring in if it was um on the right? I guess if, if get this I mean if Tete's back, maybe maybe Decker's over Reed. Yeah. But, but Cabano um, has been excellent. Uh, and I think that he has the kind of footwork and ability to to cause problems for, for these defenders. Mikhelenko is, is a very good player um at, at left back for Everton, but he is one of those players who likes to get forward. And I think if you can tie him up in a little bit of a knot by pushing him back there, that there's space to be got at. Um, down that side. So I wonder if Niskan's Cabana comes back in here um, and just is used as a kind of outball to try and just push us up the pitch a little bit and try and get in behind that full back rather than using pace because Mikalenko's quick. Um, but he, I think he has the capacity to, to get done one-on-one and, and Niskan's Cabana is our best one-on-one footballer. And, and therefore I wonder if Marco looks at that and thinks, okay, maybe we'll go with that as an option. What, you think Niskan's on the right? Mm, well, a funny feeling, but alas, it, this is this is speculation. That's not yeah. anything else. I just think that it might be. Obviously, we see our wingers cross quite a lot when Niskins and, and William were on the pitch as well. It, it's something that we saw utilised in the Villa game. Um, it, we didn't see it as much in the Leeds game because things were played more in transition. But as we're trying to open teams up and we do have more possession of the ball and, and more territory, we've seen the wingers try to cross in order to just confuse the fullbacks a little bit. And, and so even if Niskins was to start on, on the left-hand side, I, I'd imagine there will be space in the game or scope for him to go and have a, a, a little go at the fullbacks. All right, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, I'm going to be speaking to Edie Kelly, goalkeeper for the Fulham women's team. Fulhamish is brought to you by Green King, your home of pub sport. They've got over 900 sports pubs across the country because Green King is where the fans go, showing every broadcast game for Fulham. So head down to your nearest pub and you can enjoy every live sporting event from BT and Sky Sports on tap. And if you download the Green King season ticket app, you can receive a free drink when you register and get 10% off a great range of drinks one hour before, during and after any match. So head to the app store and search season ticket to download the app. And when registering, if you use the promotion code Fulhamish, one word, capital letters, as a listener of this show, you'll get an additional £5 off when you spend £15 on drinks. So make Make sure you download the Green King season ticket app, use the code Fulhamish, that's all one word, capital letters, and you'll get an additional £5 off when you spend £15 on drinks. That's from Green King, is where the fans go, your home of pub sport. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here, and I am joined by Edie Kelly, goalkeeper for the Fulham women's team. Edie, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Thank you for coming on Fulhamish. And 
It's been an exciting few weeks for the Fuller women's team. Um, lots of big wins, progression in the FA Cup. And in less than a month's time, you're going to be playing at Craven Cottage for the first time as a reform women's team. Um, yeah, it feels like a really, really good time uh, to be a part of the squad. Oh, yeah. Um, I think this probably isn't perfect, perfect timing because um, obviously on, after Sunday's FA Cup win, um, it's kind of got that momentum behind the team at the minute. There's a lot of special things going on. You know, we, we know there's big games coming up. It's a big game against Wimbledon. FA Cup game to get us there. Went 2-0 down, 3-2 win. All of the things that keep happening is just like a really nice excitement around everyone. Um, I think, yeah, Sunday's before it's just kind of added to that. And the, the drama of the game just really like highlighted the kind of move we're on at the minute. Um, and I think that's that's brilliant. No, a 2-0 win would have been a bit boring, but 3-2 is just like the perfect sentiment for, for the club and the game. Yeah, I mean, what a game. 2-0 down, uh, then a 3-2 win against Maidenhead women who are a division above you. And I've got to give you props a great double save at the end to hold on to the win would have been a really, really disappointing way to, to lose the lead right at the end. But uh, you came up trumps and saved your team. That must have felt uh, pretty good. Yeah, very good. Um, I didn't really have too much to do throughout the game, which is surprising, obviously, letting two goals in. And I think I had a bit of redemption to, to kind of do something. So, I mean, yeah, we worked really hard. I think halftime was a bit of a, a wake-up call. And just like, I think we get a lot of pressure to just like, win games where we know how to play football and we just get out there and we get so frantic and we just have what are we doing so I think when we actually began to play football again in the second half and it was really easy kind of we dominated the game the whole time just couldn't really put away the passes and then yeah what about 90 second minute and I can't lie I was kind of getting the, the hints to the, watch the context of the game and kind of take my time a little bit yeah. and then yeah what I think it was in the extra time just a, a little double save I think my positioning probably wasn't too great, but which made for a bit more of like a camera save. But uh, yeah, I mean, the saves are saved at the end of the day. And yeah, like I said, it was just like the perfect story for, for what the club is doing at the minute, um, which was brilliant. And, and you've been drawn uh, away to Watford FC. So for context, Watford are in the third um, tier of, of women's football. You guys are in the fifth. So that's going to be a, a big challenge for you. But uh, one I imagine you guys will be embracing a cup set. That would be nice. Yes. Um, and Watford, I think, got relegated from tier two last year. And they're absolutely storming yeah. the league at, at the minute. Um, they obviously have some very talented players and people who have played at the highest levels. Um, so again, like I said, it's just another chapter of the story that the club's going on and a, a big game for a team and in a, a week, a few weeks of big games, you know, leading that game before we go back to the cottage is we've got a huge league game this week and then we've got three cup games in a row, um, two against huge teams at big venues. So, I mean, yeah, it's just like you say, it's a really exciting time to be part of the club, but, you know, we're not necessarily after a huge cup run, are we going to win the FA Cup? Probably not, but like, all of these parts and the big draws are, are kind of what makes a, a special league. Yeah, and you guys are fighting to, to get out of um, this league. And you got you had a bit of a poor start, lost a couple of games that I imagine you guys probably thought that, that you shouldn't have. Um, currently three points off uh, Millwall, who are top of the league. It'd be so great, really, to see Fulham get up another level and get slightly closer to the teams that I imagine you guys all feel like Fulham should be 
competing with, given the stature of the club as a whole, and also given the history of, of the women's team at, at Fulham. I imagine that's that's the ambition is to get Fulham closer. You know, I don't think anyone's expecting some sort of meteoric win division after division, but I, I imagine you guys want to get out of this league and just get slightly further up the echelons. Yeah, it's, it's really tricky. I think, you know, it, you kind of replicate and you hear fifth tier, but given the context of the leagues and how it all runs, you know, there's only 10 teams per league in most leagues. So we're still in the top 50 of, of the country, which yeah. um, to be reformed a few years ago is, is, a, is a great achievement. You know, we're making the right strides. I think it's quite easy. And sometimes you get the opportunity to, to kind of skip those moments and to skip the transition um, when you've got a big club supporting you. Um, and I think we're really keen to do it the right way. And we want to show that, you know, we've made the steps, we've won the leagues, we've, we've won the progression to be in the places that we hope to be as a club. And I think stuff like the cup games that we have coming up and we've faced in the years past is putting up a really strong fight shows that we have the ability and the capability to do that. And once you get out of these leagues, obviously you attract bigger and better players. And to be able to you know, perform at those levels that we think we should be at, at this stage already is brilliant. And when you add, you know, stronger players as you get further up as well, then, you know, you're onto a winning formula. So that's the ambition. Um, again, only one team per year gets promoted, which is obviously a, a huge battle. Um, mm. And that's a really tricky part to it. I think you can be so close, which is still not close enough. You know, it could go down to goal difference or, or one one point, and that's a whole new season. You know, it's, it's one and only. So... It's really tricky league to get out of. Yeah, I mean, as you see in any league that's only got that one team, it can just, it can be infuriating because, you know, you sometimes feel like that's why playoffs and or a second automatic promotion position kind of encourages the league to be much more competitive because there is that way of, of getting up and getting down. But hey, the league is the league and there's not much you can do about it until there's a, a huge change. Let's talk about then this game at Craven Cottage, AFC Wimbledon, the Capital Women's Cup, uh, Sunday, the 20th of November. Now, obviously the men's season, um, will have halted by then. Uh, I think it's the I think it's the day that the World Cup actually starts, isn't it? Um, in, in Qatar, but all focus has got to be on Craven Cottage that day. Forget forget the World Cup in in Qatar. You play an AFC Wimbledon, and what? How much would this mean? Obviously, you play your games at Motspur Park, and you do get a, a crowd down there, and and that's great. And the club has shown you that support. But I imagine for you guys, this must be a real ambition achieved to, to actually play a big stadium, a, get a, a place that everyone knows and loves and can get to easily. And it's part of their routines. H how big a moment was it when you guys found out that finally there was a, there was a window in the calendar that would allow you to play there? Yeah. I, like, I think to be fair to the club, it was, you know, it's always been on the agenda. We've been knocking down on that door for a while now. And I think we found out in May time, so even before the Euros, um, which I think is a really like important thing to say. You know, it's not a reaction of, oh, there's an ambition into women's football because England won the Euros. It, you know, the club had already decided that way before that had happened. So I think that's quite an important thing to say, that like they recognised that that was where we should be going, not just a, a reaction off the back of what's happened. But obviously what happened over the summer has played a huge impact. And this is what... You know, when they set it out, I think the ambition was probably a smaller crowd than they probably have now. You know, you've seen the, uh, the, the actual like for women's football and the demand for people going to games. You know, there are people that want to see in the barriers, like you just mentioned, not necessarily knowing the training ground or knowing how to get there. This is something that should be known for Fulham fans and know, you know, it's your weekly routine as a Fulham fan to get down to Craven Cottage. So 
hopefully that just showing that if you have these barriers in it, it, it obviously stops the numbers coming in. Um, just the ambition to do it a bit more often. Obviously, it's a really tricky time, and especially this year with the Premier League calendar being um, hectic enough as it is. But um, we obviously, I think for us, it's not necessarily about the result or you know how we get on. We want to show people that the standard of football we play as a club is brilliant. You know, we're not necessarily focused on the result. Obviously, we go out to every to game to win, but what we want to do is just show a really good showcase of the game and how good the football actually is. I think, you know, this summer people realised that women's football is actually quite good and the quality is there. I think in years past, it never, when you watch women's football, it was a bit slower. The technique wasn't necessarily as, as strong as it is now, but the, the women who are professionals now are unbelievable. And, and it's, it isn't just about going down there to, to support out and help out the women's game because it's a charitable case. It's going down there because the football's absolutely, you know, insane. And, it's a good showcase. It's brilliant entertainment. It's, you know, close scores that are really high level, like football, which, yeah, and I think that's all we want to showcase is just get a new audience who possibly haven't seen us play before and probably seen that we're a bit lower down and we're not necessarily as, as high as the men's or as high achieving, but actually we can still play a good level of football and around the, the game and, you know, showing you young kids that this is doable and this is a, you know, a great standard to be at and it's an entertaining game. I think that's, that's the kind of aim for us and just showing that we're all good footballers is, is the key part. Oh, totally. And, and you'll get the support from Fulham fans, no doubt, because, you know, any Fulham team is, is one that I think we all support, whether it's a, a foundation team or whether it's the men's team, women's team. I think that as long as you're wearing that Fulham badge, you'll always get the support of, of, of the Fulham crowd. And I'm sure plenty will use it as a great opportunity to see some live football and hopefully into the World Cup as well. Obviously, like, yes, OK, there's going to be games on TV that people will want to watch. But if people are looking for a live football fix, I'm sure a lot of people will think, oh, actually, maybe I will pop down to, to Motsford Park obviously the game at the cottage is the big one that everyone's going to look forward to but hopefully that can extend into the World Cup speaking back to the Euros you know we all watched that amazing game against Germany we watched all the games in the build-up as well and it was such a momentous moment and that's kind of goes without saying has that trickled down to 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 your games have you noticed increased crowd increased awareness I know that the club has put a, a bit more of a spotlight on it this season than ever before but have you have you noticed the wave coming down to Motspur Park as well as you know the rest of the game obviously the, the Super League has taken on heightened importance too but yeah I was interested to know if that has filtered all the way down um I wouldn't necessarily say filtered all the way down <clears throat> to our level yet I think that you can see at the top level there's the, the one there I think the big thing that women's football lacked was a real like fan love of personalities within the game. You know, what we saw over the summer is that people have favourite players now. Mm. Oh, I play like Millie Bright. Leah Williamson's my favourite. <laughs> Did you see Russo's back here? Oh, I want to play like her. That yeah. was never happened before. It was always just about football. But now you've got some really key personalities that bring the entertainment factor to the game, which never really happened before. It was always Steph Houghton. And the England team, you know, the England captain and the England team. You've got personalities now that people want to go. So you can see fans becoming Arsenal fans because they love Leah Williamson or they want to get down to Kings Meadow because, you know, they just fell in love with Millie Bright and they thought she was an amazing player. People going to Manchester United because Mary Earps was the hero for Euros. That kind of like attraction through personalities rather than being a fan of a club. And I think you see that a lot more of because of the stories and the media association with the girls over the summer 
people then supported teams that they didn't necessarily support before. So you'd be, you know, maybe a, a Fulham men's supporter, but an Arsenal women's supporter <laughs> because of the players that you happen, you know, yeah. it's like the Ronaldo, the Messi effect. That never really happened in women's football, which is a, a huge factor. And I think that needs to keep happening across, you know, giving the highlight to build the personalities and the players. And if you're not necessarily seeing your club that you support have a strong female team, you're supporting the players that you do know, whether that's in-game or online. And I think that's that's the interesting angle there is that you're giving the personalities to players rather than having to support the women's team of the club you support, um, which is a difficult angle. And obviously this is going out to Fulham fans, so I would say don't do that. Come and support your women's Fulham team. But I think, yeah, that, yeah. that angle around it is really, is really um, the, the kind of key area. Um, for it, but in terms of trickling down, you see that the the money of tournaments is, is going up now. So FA Cup, for example, um, last year the um, winnings was nothing like it was this year, and they started increasing that at the lower levels, not just at the the top level. So I, I obviously I'm like we just won about four grand for getting through this stage, where I think in previous years don't quote me on this, it's about 400, you know, you're talking about hundreds of pounds and yeah. for clubs like, um, say, Dulwich Hamlets who are in our league, four grand is a huge amount of money that they wouldn't, that, well, they'd probably get it from supporters but in clubs that are lower down there's teams like Aylesford in our league, it's a huge amount of money which you never see the light of day so I think having those kind of steps in in the next few years, if you get two, two three rounds of, of FA Cup football, you've got enough to support you and, and go further through the next three stages um, and I think you'll see that in potentially the league above us in tier four and tier three who need to attract players with monetary income and that monetary, like it, it needs to, at that level, there needs to be a benefit of joining these clubs because that's the level that it's getting at now where it never really was before. Yeah. That's where it needs to go. Winning these money so you can pay people or give them expenses at least. That's how you're going to improve the football level across the board. No, totally agree. It makes a lot of sense. So this game against AFC Wimbledon, um, some people might be going to see the Fulham FC women for the first time. Who's our Millie Bright? Who's our Russo? Who who are the players on the field that people... Look, I'm making you here single out people, which is mean. I realise that. But who are the who are the people on the pitch that, that people should, uh, should look out for? Um, notwithstanding that, I'm sure all 11 players have their, <laughs> have their role in the team. But who, who are the superstars that we should uh, look out for in the Fulham women team? Yeah, without giving away our game, our game plans at least. And our, <laughs> um, I'll start at the back and I'll say me. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Um, I think in terms, like Mary Southgate, obviously well-known kind of around the club. She's a Fulham supporter. I think one thing to watch for, for Maz on, on the game is probably her, she'll look starstruck throughout the entire pitch. I think she she's going to have a hard time to not get caught up in uh, sitting in the changing room, walking out in the tunnel and then, you know, walking out onto the pitch that she's supported the men's club for for so long. I think her biggest challenge will be to to, to watch be focused in the game and not around the ground and wave at her parents uh, yeah. <laughs> who will be down supporting. Um, I'd say Becky Stormer is quite solid. Um, she will be one to watch centre-back, centre-mid sometimes, depending on availability. Yeah. Um, and then up front is probably our biggest threats. We've got Helen Ogle on the wing. Um, her pace is just unbelievable. Um, and Ellie Olds, who we call Trish. Um, so that <laughs> doesn't really have too much of a link, but um, she's a nutritionist, so we call her Trish, which gotcha. makes yeah, okay. lots of sense, I think. 
Um, she's out injured at the minute, but um, she, you know, her and Helen last year are joint top goal scorers. So hopefully, if she's back in time for the game, she'll, she'll be one to watch as well. But the, another great thing, and obviously new to this year, we've had an under 18s team come in, um, and because of injuries and availability, and also just because of them proving themselves, they've been featuring a lot more in our games. There's about four who in and around the team each week. Um, another ED and um, centre forward, she she's been working really well up top. Yeah. Um, and uh, Miller, who plays a left wing back, um, hopefully see a bit of a cameo from from either of them. But yeah, um, you know they've been doing a great job at, at supporting when when needed. And I think that's a, another beauty of the game. We never had an under 18s team before. We couldn't have we couldn't have done this. But these guys are coming in straight away and, and being the the fit of the team, which is brilliant. And it's what you need. I think it, it really makes a difference when you go to our level. If you don't have and it is that kind of, if you don't have a goalkeeper, you've got to shove a centre-medium goal or a centre-back. And that can be a difference of a game if you don't have two of our centre-forwards are out injured at the minute. If we don't have our under-18s team, we're playing someone out of position to fill the gap. So it's been a big difference for us this year, which is brilliant. Fantastic. Well, it's going to be really exciting. AFC Wimbledon, it's a, it's a, it's a tough game, isn't it, actually? AFC Wimbledon is slightly above you in the uh, in the pyramid, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, tier four. They're also my old team, so big game for <laughs> big game for me personally. But yeah, tier four, and they're quite near the top of that one as well. They should be looking into tier three next year. Well, and, and a local derby to boot. So uh, yeah, if you want to head down, uh, tickets are super cheap, five pounds. Um, it's uh, against AFC Wimbledon at Craven Cottage, two o'clock on Sunday, the twentieth of November, and it doesn't clash with the opening match of the World Cup. So you can still go to that, still go watch the uh, the World Cup opener, the uh, the classic that is Qatar Ecuador um, later <laughs> in, in the day as well. So yeah, massive game. Um, so you can watch both uh, in the day if you want to. Edie, I wish you the very best of luck. So excited to see you guys play at Craven Cottage and hopefully we'll catch you again on Fulhamish very soon. Thank you very much for having me. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Let's look at some questions and in a moment, this will catch on development. This one from Paul Budd. Um, I really like this. Hey guys, question regarding player development and progress. While he is still prone to the odd mistake, such as Sunday's goal, can you remember a player that has made such a quantum leap in every aspect of his game as Jedi has? Anthony Robinson, if you didn't know his nickname. His defending, crossing, passing and all-round football intelligence suggests he could be a top six level left back rose tinted glasses or reality how much further could he develop also interesting that um i, I listened to a bit of uh, ian wright's podcast righty's house where righty talks about um, fun fulham i think as he coined to them yes and he talked about anthony robinson his prediction is that he's the next mark cucarella to go to a big team for a big sum now obviously i would rather that didn't happen because i love robinson and i think he is a huge asset to this team and he would be very very difficult to replace now but i think paul's put the nail on the head whilst i do understand that like he was better in the championship than i think some of his eye tests maybe proved you know I never forget when people were questioning why he was in the championship team of the season which seems nuts a lot of people were saying he wasn't the best left back at Fulham I mean that debate is just so firmly put to bed now but there still has been a marked improvement like let's not you know get too bogged down in in stats and everything sometimes last season I didn't quite know what Robinson was doing particularly going forward this year, just a, just a player reborn and, and, and really now starting to see his athletic ability. There was a moment on uh, Sunday, um, I think 
second half. It was a really small moment. I think it was after the Bamford shot got saved. And I think Robinson scooped it off the line to stop it going for a corner. He just knocked it past the right winger like he wasn't there. He brushed him off, picked him up and then span away. I was like, wow, this Anthony Robinson is so confident at the moment and it is such an incredible player. So yeah, I just uh, thought you'd be uh, keen to to tuck into this uh, this Robinson debate that Paul's brought up. Yeah, hundred percent, and and you're absolutely right. He was he was much better, perhaps in in the championship than a lot of people gave him credit for. And I remember looking at his numbers with uh, Lou, who's a Watford fan, last year, and he was saying he creates the most opportunities in the championship for any defender, which is a pretty you know statement moment for a player. Yes, he he got a lot of opportunities, and yes, Fulham were a team that created lots of opportunities. But um, the the mark drop off when when Anthony Robinson wasn't on the pitch, I think was was clear to see. So. There are the, these kind of moments where how, how much of this is improvement and how much of it is just him looking better. I also think this division suits him a little bit more. Um, teams are less likely to sit back. I mean, he spoke after the Bournemouth game and said he found it really difficult to get his crosses away and, and to be finding a, a, play, a Fulham player in the box because Bournemouth was so deep and in that kind of deep block. And we saw that so much last season, right? There aren't too many teams in the Premier League who are going to come out against Fulham and sit in a deep block. And so what that does is it opens up space for Robinson to career forward into um, and make those differences. And you talk about his, his defensive abilities, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, And I don't want to bring this up because I, I know how cliche it is, but we all know that Anthony Robinson was once desired by AC Milan, right? This is a thing. <laughs> no, really? I'm going to bring it up because do you know who AC Milan's <laughs> technical director is? Um, no, Berlusconi? I, I tell you, it's Paolo Maldini. Um, Paolo Maldini, one of the great defenders of all time, in charge of looking at the the, the kind of recruitment for this squad. And there are caveats to this. You know, Milan's left back is Teo Hernandez, who is a player who thrives going forward as as much as as in defence. He's very much an attacking left back. And they were looking for someone, I think, in that mould as a backup to Teo. Now, Teo is one of the world's best players in this position. So I'm, I'm not saying they're on the same level. But I do think there's there's an element here of if you're going into a club that is where their kind of transfer policy is spearheaded by Paolo Maldini and you are a defender, a left-sided defender of, of, of all kind of places, you're going to need to have some prestige or ability that they can see for you to be considered for a role like this. And I, I think it was there straight, you know, from, from the outset. Now, there are moments where I think his, his positioning was potentially a little bit lacking. It was caught out and, and maybe he relied a little bit too much on his speed in terms of getting back and bailing Fulham out of danger. But I think we're seeing that start to improve. And, and actually, this is where I'd go to the most that I think Paul's right on. I think his positioning and spatial awareness this season has been sensational. And, you know, one-on-one, his, his physicality and his ability to kind of push a player wide, to, to keep up with them when they're trying to burst past him, means that he is in the right place more often than not. And and that's well, that's more than half the battle, isn't it? You know, they say the first five yards are in your head. But it's it, with, with him, it's, it's kind of like, okay, if they're going to try and burst past me with it, like a little knock past, you're not going to do that. He's in the in the right areas far more often than he was at the beginning of his film career now, um, and I think he's going he's going from strength to strength now. Part of this is you know the way that we play, and, and he's he's very very good in transition, as you might imagine. And I do wonder if that would be the question that would maybe potentially hold him back a little bit from one of these big moves that you talk about, because actually in games where teams are going to sit in and against your big sixes, 
teams will sit in far deeper and and let, give you less time to kind of counter and exploit that space, would he be able to take that game into the same style in a in a team that was able to play less in transition? I don't know. And that would be my only question over the, the point you made at the beginning. But I don't think there can be any doubt whatsoever that Jedi continues to improve and he has become one of the most important players in this Fulham team. Another question here from Mary Chapman says, hello there, Sammy and team. Love the pod. I'd be interested to hear your comments on this question. Marco seems to be proving such an all-round coach, hot on strategy, technicalities, communication, improving and getting the best out of our players and creating a meaningful team spirit and approach to play. Often when we've had a good coach slash manager, they've left for better things. I'm thinking of Hodgson especially. And Marco has a bit of a reputation for not being a stayer. What, if anything, would it take for Marco to leave? With all the comings and goings of the Premier League, I do worry he may be tempted away. All the best from Mary. Certainly there's been a lot of it in the last few weeks where each big manager job that's come up, I thought, is this going to be a Marco one? And then each one, there's it's not been a Marco one. Villa was one where I was like, are they going to maybe look at it? Or like when, I don't think he'd be tempted by the Wolves job, but you saw kind of the merry-go-round of managers that they've been linked with. And um, Brighton came up, Chelsea came up, and Marco's not been in any conversation of any of them. But the longer that Fulham keep up these kind of performances. He is going to start being tempted by some clubs. And the obvious answer is, well, he's been burnt before. He won't do it again. But personally, I think that if it's a big enough job, Jack, he will be tempted away. That's the food chain, right? And sad it is this where we live within it right now. Um, until Fulham establish ourselves back as a kind of mid-table kicking upwards Premier League team, there is always going to be question marks over whether you can make someone stick around when other clubs come calling. Now, there are some well, clarifications is probably the way I'd put it on this. This season in particular, the Premier League is incredibly competitive and there doesn't look like there's a particularly high well, you know, obviously, apart from the big six and Newcastle, maybe there's a big top order and, and everything else is all a little bit mucky in the middle of it. And so you're looking at clubs like Aston Villa, um, maybe like a Leeds United, who traditionally, I suppose, are bigger clubs than Fulham. Would you go into either of those clubs right now when it's such a chaotic move? And also with a club like, let's say Leeds, for example, here, if Leeds were to, to sack Jesse Marsh and come in for Marcus Silva, what... What is there currently at Leeds that you go, okay, that's a really good thing for me as a manager that he doesn't have at Fulham? I mean, they will point to their their supporter base being bigger and that's fine. But ultimately, their owners have kind of refused to spend particular money over the summer. They weren't able to back Jesse Marsh really in the way that he really wanted. They weren't able to bring in that number nine that the fans are crying out for. And he has an owner at Fulham in Shard Khan who we've seen spend money on positions and and things that he wants pretty openly. Uh, and, and I think that this is it. You're, you're looking at these clubs and going, unless it is one of the big six plus Newcastle, maybe, where you have unlimited funds. Villa was one I was slightly concerned about because they are far richer than, than perhaps the, the books actually would show. I don't know where else he'd go in England right now. The one that would maybe, maybe worry me is... There was obviously talk of, of Wolves going for Huben Amorim at Sporting. Now, Marco was at Sporting 2014 to 15, I think it was. And I think you'll find, if you look back at it, the reason he was dismissed was something to do with him not wearing a suit in a cup final. 
Um, and there was all this drama around it. And I do wonder if he'd be like, I'd like to go and prove a point in Portugal. That would be my only real concern about someone coming in for him right now. Look, this could, this could kind of go up in smoke. I mean, Juventus could come in for him. I don't think they're going to, but they could. And, but on the whole, where I'm looking at the vacancies right now and I'm looking at the market, I'm kind of trying to work out where would be tempting. I don't think, touch wood, obviously, he's going to go anywhere this season. Now, if it gets to the end of the season and a couple of giants are circling and Fulham have come, come seventh, then obviously there's going to be interest in Marco Silva. But those are the prices of success. You know, we talked about it, but ticket prices. The prices of success for Fulham have, have historically been that clubs come and take away our best assets. Um, and, and that's how the food chain works with football. The important thing is knowing what your succession plan is going to be. You know, we talk about Polinia and you go, well, in next summer, is someone going to come in and bid £70 million for, for Polinia? They might. And there's not much you can do about that. And if he goes, well, I'd actually really like to play in the Champions League. <laughs> okay. But there's, there's, there's all that, there's all not that much you can do. What you yeah. have to have in that position is a succession plan where you're thinking about things in a, in a really sensible way. And, and, and so I think that it's important for Fulham to be like, look, we've got to work with what we've got. We've got to work with our place in the chain. And we've just got to, we've got to basically be like, if this does happen and the worst comes to worst, we need to know what we're doing because actually the spirals of chaos come when you end up making rash decisions, which was something that Dan Cook said on, on Monday. You know, those rash decisions that you make in the transfer market or the coaching market, we've seen all of this happen at Fulham and it's led to spirals and chaos. The important thing is knowing what you're going to do next if if you're on a good run of form and that's how you build a, a sustainable, sensible club. And, and look, you look to Brighton, right? Or you look to... Pains me to say it, down the road at Brentford, they sell a load of their best players and they know exactly where they're going to in terms of replacing them because they have the models available that mean that you can reinvest that money in a sensible manner. And, and that's what's, what the kind of next step for Fulham is, I think. You know, be, becoming sustainable in that regard, being able to be like, okay, it's really, really sad that we've lost one of our best players, but we trust the system to bring in someone who's going to step up and, and, and make Fulham you know, it's work with, with whatever we do have. So, so there's my kind of point on it. I don't think he's going to go this season, touch wood. Um, but we just have to be prepared that if that eventuality does come, we need to be looking at, at what the succession plan is from, you know, a time in advance so we can think about it sensibly. And on that point, Marco facing Everton this weekend for, unless I'm mistaken, the first time since he got sacked by Everton. Yeah, I would can't suggest see, that it would, it would be. Uh, can't see Considering he didn't play for any, <laughs> he didn't manage anyone else afterwards. Yeah, I was just like, am I forgetting something? No, I don't think I am. Um, he had a mixed time there. Um, it's just going to be, I don't imagine it's going to be uh, a huge factor in the game. I think it might be the headline go-to, especially if Fulham won. But there's surely a small part of him that would, that would, 10% love to win this more than the other games. Yeah, 100%. Like, you, you obviously want to be... He had a, a good year at Everton. I think they finished eighth. Um, they beat United 4-0, if I'm not mistaken, that year. But yes. 
they then obviously were dreadful in that second season under him and he lost his job by Christmas. So I'd imagine that there's a part of him that wants to prove a point. And you know, I feel like we use this phrase, prove a point, loads on this podcast. Um, we talked about it with, with players coming into the club who, who you know we felt that they needed to show that they were better than perhaps they'd been made out to be. Um, and I think that Marco will want to, to get one over in, in that regard to say, look, I've been, you know, I'm I'm a better manager than you gave me credit for, and but you know, equally they were they were in the relegation zone when he was sacked, and it was December, and and for a club who'd finished eighth the season before, that's obviously not a great place to be, and so I think he'd be probably the first to admit that they weren't good enough that season. So, <laughs> swings and roundabouts a little bit, but it's always nice to get one over your former employers, I'm sure. Um, did you have a question? I did. I got a question from my friend, Robbie Murch, who texted to say, loving the podcast. It's keeping me sane when times get mad. He said, a question, who would win slash what would the score be between this team and our Europa League final team? <laughs> I still think without further evidence that this, uh, the Europa League final team would um put in a really solid professional job and um and win 3-1 3-1 I think in their, in their we, absolute we didn't score three goals very often <laughs> well you say that but like there was a few games where Fulham were capable of sco- of, of of scoring a glut we never got more really than three apart from the famous one um where we got four but I I think that team in its absolute prime and it's it, at, at the top of its game was was ridiculous and whilst I think that Marco has built something really cool here and I think that actually player for player quite a lot of these players are comparable I just think that Hodgson was the um was the special source and that he the way he was able to build that team and have them so organized I think that they would still win like that Europa League team that reached the final we finished ninth that season I think without the Europa League run and the fact that we were kind of sacrificed the Premier League for the second half of it because we were so intense on doing well in Europa was a team capable of finishing fifth sixth maybe even like they were that good that year yeah um so I still think that that Europa team is is a level above but imagine if we'd have had Mitrovic for that Europa League Well, this final. is it. Like, I, I think I think actually player for player, you, I think this team is better. I mean, there are obviously exceptions that you know, I would suggest that Hughes and Hagland are maybe the two best centre-backs that the club has ever had, or at least in my lifetime. Um, mm. And I think Schwarzer remains one of the great Fulham goalkeepers. But aside from that, I think this team is probably better across the park. Um, now, part of that is to do with the fact that football's improved, right? And and so that the level has, has kind of gone up across the board. Uh, I think a lot of teams from that era would struggle to compete with the teams that we're currently seeing now. Um, I, I think you're right about. I think you're right about about Roy Hodgson. I think this team, that team, would be compact. They'd be hard to beat. I just can't look past the fact that I think Polina and Mitrovic would be the two best players on the pitch by some distance, and. I'd say this team 1-0. But I appreciate that obviously it's hard to to look at it. I, I think it would be a very tight encounter. And I they don't think those things necessarily stack up because I don't think this team will finish as high or would go get to a Europa League final, et cetera, et cetera. But I just think the level of football across the board has improved so much in that decade that actually we'd be looking at this team winning just. 
So just been having a bit of bit of fun and I'm trying to put together on the fly a combined Europa and this team team. Yeah. I've gone with our, I've, I've gone with our current and yeah, yeah, you go you do yours first. I've I've gone with I've gone in with our current formation by the way because obviously Hodgson played like a 4-4-2 this is 4-2-3-1 however we want to slice it and dice it. But I've gone with our current formation. So yeah, I've gone with Schwarzer, Robinson, Hangland Hughes. Mm-hmm. Think. Right back's really tough. I would I've go with Kenny Tete. Okay, I went with Pansil, but that's really, really tight. But I've gone with Polina and Murphy. Yeah, see, I, I don't think that would work. No, it okay. Yeah, I'm a little bit in fancy land. Whether like, yes, I realise that. Reed I think you could have Polina, Murphy, and Harrison Reed, but uh, I don't think you could have them as as a two. No. And then you could, I have went, a four three, you could have a four three three if you want. We can stretch it to that, and you can put you can put Danny Murphy <laughs> in the mix there, if you like. He has to be in it. Yeah, Murphy has to be in it somewhere. Then I went with Wilson, Gira, and Duff. And then Mitchvich. Yeah. Yeah. D- Duffer, I think, is 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 the one. I'd have Duff in there. Um, I, I think I'd go I'd go with a 4-3-3. I'd go Polinia, Reed, Murphy, Duff, Wilson, Mitchovich. No 10. No 10, yeah. because Damien Duff does the running of 10 men anyway. Um, <laughs> absolutely fine. No problem at all. He can it the feels place. though, like I guess because Mitrovic is so pit, but like to leave Samora out of a team like this is it feels feels wrong. Feels mm. and to leave Gera out, you'd leave Gera out. I think I'd have to. Although I think he'd be absolutely perfect for this Andres Pereira role. By the way, <laughs> just like thinking about it in hindsight, I think he'd be a really really good fit in the current number ten role that we have. He would. That's my thinking. I agree on the midfield. I would be happy to sacrifice Murphy if it meant having Gera. Okay. All right. We can accept. I, I can accept that. I can accept that. That right. that team would work then. That it would Sorry. work from a from a kind of physical perspective. Sorry, Danny. Danny can play the Tom Kearney role um, off the bench if we're controller. Uh, to come yeah, hundred yeah, percent. We need a controller come off of a low block. Yeah. But for oh, sending your teams on that one because that's a very off the cuff debate that uh, we hadn't planned for, but um, I enjoy that nonetheless. Right. Um, one. This will catch on. Now, this is an update, really. I, I like to have Peter back for the proper this will catch on. So I want to wait for Peter to come yeah, You back. didn't set but me up any last week and me and Dan was waiting for them. And I was like, oh, sorry, I haven't got any. <laughs> oh, I actually didn't expect you to do them last week in my absence. That's why I didn't set you up with any. Um, this one is from Ben Mogridge. And he says, hi, lads. Thought I'd remind you of this email from last season. Definitely taking off in the Hammersmith end the last two games. Another win for this will catch on. Cheers from Ben. Now, Ben emailed us on the 16th of May. He said, hi, lads. We've been trying to get this one going home and away for the last few weeks of the yeah. season. Definitely caught on in our carriage coming back from Bournemouth and Sheffield United and at the Fox and Hounds after the Luton game. However, we haven't been able to replicate it at ground so far. Easily doable, in my opinion. Enjoy. I, so sang, I, this with, this. I sang this with Ben across the street in uh, Sheffield. So I know exactly what's coming yeah um you've probably heard this if you've been in the hammersmith end the last couple of games and probably at leeds as well i don't know if it was sung at leeds because i wasn't there but i assume it probably was (laughs) 
Yes, very good, uh, and it will catch on a hundred percent. I think we said this. It at the has time. caught on. Yeah, I heard yeah. it. I heard heard it against um, Bournemouth uh, in that game. Um, obviously, I was away for the last two. So yeah, it definitely, it, was... it definitely made an appearance of Villa. Okay, um, it's not. So it... it's not quite going yet, though. That's what I would say about it. it, it like it, it's a bit stunted. Like you can hear it from the back end of five. But the rest of the the rest of the Hammersmith end hasn't quite caught onto it yet, so maybe this will help it help it along its way again. So the lyrics are: Parker said that Mitro's shite. Now he's fucking dynamite. Twenty million down the drain. Alex Mitro scores again, and obviously it's, it's a nice a twist Cash because it's a it's not the same as that Tony Marshall song. <laughs> it's Johnny Cash Ring of Fire. It's um it's very easy. Are we putting this down as another win for this or catch on? Feels like I we've. I don't know. Um, I feel like the lads have, have done the work, the the leg work themselves here. They've got it going before it was played. Um, so I'm 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 going to say that maybe we we can we can claim a like a, a hockey assist. You know, like the pass yeah. before the pass. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy with that. One and a half wins now for for this will catch on. Alex Mitrovic and Neeskins, the salt, Harry Wilson, Mitrovic and Neeskins, and then a half point for for this. But yeah, if you hear it on Saturday, that's the song. I agree with you, Jack. That I think there was a lot of people in the Hammersmith end, a bit lower down, that were like, "What are the lyrics to that song?" Man? I was walking around singing the uh, Dennis Adoy American Boy song that George Roster set, uh, sent in around uh, various locations um, in Europe over the last few weeks. So. Does that count? <laughs> what, just because it's been in your own head? If, well, if, no, if because obviously much... his, 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 his club Bruges have been doing brilliantly in the Champions League, so I just sort of kept yelling it at people. Um, but yeah, no, maybe hey, we, that doesn't we need all the, we need all the we need, we need all the points for this will catch on that we can get, so um, yeah, we'll take it. More this will catch ons next week. I've got a few back in the uh, in the inbox. Hello at fullamish.co.uk if you want to submit another winning this will catch on. Um, that's what we want. We want songs that can go all the way to the top. Um, we want to take you there. We want to be part of the journey. We're like the full, we're that the X factor of Fulham. You know, I see a star, I'll make you a star. Kind of Louis Walsh vibes here on uh, this will catch on that'll do for today's podcast thank you very much for listening and also to Edie and tom uh, great to have both of them on as ever we head to the fulhamish community for uh, a pod name uh, a simple one today uh, i've gone with tim delaney's marco's toffee reunion mm, very good does very good. does what it says does what it says yeah, in the tin, ron tim. seal ron seal yeah ron yeah. seal tim yeah it was either that or uh, Tricky Toffee Blues from, from Avas Malik. <laughs> tricky Toffee Blues. Um, Which one did you like? No, I, I think I think the, the first, Tim's Ron Seal, is going to do the job for me today. Cool. Thank you very much, Tim. And thank you to everyone in the Fulhamish community for always helping us out when we need a pod name. Uh, we will be back uh, Monday morning reacting to everything that happens in the Everton game. Uh, keep an eye on the Fulhamish website for all of the player ratings and the positives and negatives articles. And uh, make sure you are on the Fulhamish YouTube. There is a brand new Jack and Joe show out right now. And then on Sunday morning, there will be a quick take, uh, some instant live reaction to everything that happens in the Everton game. Have a lovely weekend. Happy Halloween uh, to all of you uh, out there celebrating. And, and to all souls for those who celebrate. <laughs> Hopefully Fulham will get uh, a treat on, uh, on Saturday and not a trick. God. End it now. End it now. See you on Monday. Have a good weekend. Come on, you right. You right. <laughs>